the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on June 26, 2016, on the basis of Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. So nature possesses some incredible power, would you agree? As I mentioned to the kids, we got a little bit of a taste of that last evening, but I wanted to give you some very specific examples today as well. For example, take this. Do you know that a a bolt of lightning possesses enough power to run every single appliance, every single device in your house for about a month and a half? And that each and every second of each and every day, about 45 lightning bolts are hitting the earth somewhere at any given time? Or what about this? With 200-mile-per-hour winds, Hurricane Katrina actually possessed enough power within itself to run the entire state of Louisiana for almost three entire years. It's a lot of power. Or what about this? The earthquake that caused the tsunami that devastated the coast of Japan just a couple of years ago possessed the same amount of power contained by all the fuel that is used over the course of the entire world for almost four whole days. It's a lot of power. Or what about this? You might remember I shared with you a a while back that back at the early part of the 20th century when scientists were discovering nuclear power, the power held within atoms, They released the startling fact that a single raisin possesses enough power to run all of New York City for almost a day. So let me ask, to quote the familiar Sesame Street game, which one doesn't belong here? Right, we see three of those images and they evoke a very specific reaction. One of of apprehension, maybe even one of fear and dread, and yet the fourth one, not so much. What's the difference? It's not in the sheer amount of power that they possess. We've already seen that the raisin has as much power as the earthquake and the lightning and the hurricane. The difference is that when we look at a raisin, we see power that is under control, right? We see power that is harnessed. We see power that we know is is restrained within very specific limits. In fact, just to illustrate that, you take that same power, that nuclear power, and and you put it out of control, and it's just as terrifying. You might remember that last August, it was kind of troubling news when our nation's satellite surveillance system discovered that over in North Korea, they were trying to harness some of this nuclear power. They were producing weapons-grade uranium. So that's kind of the big idea that we want to focus on today, that that as we go through life, as we face various storms, the difference between having an attitude of calm and confidence and having an attitude of, of frantic fear is not the sheer power of the forces that are at work in our lives. What makes the difference is whether or not those forces and that power is under or out of control. 
In fact, as we look at these verses from Mark today, we're going to see that, that if something in our life is out of control, out of our control, then the more power it has, the greater our fear of it will be. But on the flip side, if something is under control, then the greater power it has, the more confidence in it we will have. We look at these verses from Mark, and the the first example of power that we come across is the power of the sea, the power of the wind and the waves. Now realize that for most of the people in this story, for Jesus' 12 closest disciples, they were very comfortable with the power of the sea. They had been born and raised as fishermen. They were men of the sea who were used to being in complete control when on the water. In fact, the sequence of events here in Mark chapter 4 is kind of interesting. You might remember from last week that, that on this day, Jesus had been standing just offshore in a boat. Standing in that boat simply so that he could address this massive crowd of people that had gathered and assembled on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus spent the entire day teaching them about the kingdom of God, over and over again he used parables, he used stories that were agricultural in nature. They were all about seeds and farming and harvesting crops. In other words, they were stories that these fishermen, these men of the sea, couldn't really connect with. But then, then at the end of the day, Jesus wants to go over to the other side of the lake and he wants to travel by boat and he wants to travel in their boat. He wants them to make sure that he gets from one side of the lake safely to the other. It's quite the promotion, right? You can imagine that as they stepped onto that boat, they were, their chests were puffing with pride and confidence. Jesus, you've done your work for the day. Sit back and take it easy. We've got it under control. Of course, that fear, or that that confidence, I should say, quickly evaporated when all of a sudden this furious squall came up. I'm not sure if the disciples had ever been in a storm quite like this before, but we do know from Mark's account that this one was not just an inconvenient sort of storm where you get a little bit wet. This is a life-threatening storm. The wind was so strong that it was actually throwing the water over the sides of the boat. And as fast as the disciples were trying to bail that water out, Mark tells us that the boat was nearly full, the boat was nearly swamped, the boat was about to go down. These men knew that they had come face to face with power that they couldn't control. And they became afraid. In fact, just as an indication of how desperate they were, did you hear what they did? They turned to the only person in the boat who wasn't really helping out. They turned to Jesus and asked him for help. Jesus, who by birth and by trade was a carpenter. What's a carpenter going to do to help them get out of this storm? Is that kind of how we live our lives sometimes? There are all kinds of forces at work in our lives, all kinds of powerful things going on. and, And I don't know if it's true of you, it's certainly true of me, that with a lot of them, I don't even bother trying to control them. For example, I generally think that I have very little control over whether another nation or terrorists are going to invade and attack our country. And so I'm relatively pretty content to just just let the people who have control of those things deal with them. In the same way, I, I wouldn't even consider that I have all that much control over whether or not when I push in the brake pedal on my car, 
that it actually stops the car instead of continuing headlong into a, a lamp post. And so I'm generally pretty content to leave that in the control of the manufacturers and the mechanics. But then there are other areas in our lives where we are legitimately just as much out of control, but fool ourselves into thinking that we are in control. For example, when it comes to our financial well-being, we fool ourselves into thinking that if we just work hard enough and budget and plan and save and insure and invest wisely enough that we are untouchable, that nothing bad could possibly happen. Or when it comes to our health, that if we just eat well and exercise regularly and go to the doctor and take our medicine, that nothing could possibly happen. We fool ourselves into thinking that we are in control of those things, but then, then one of these storms hits. An unexpected job loss, unexpected stock market crash or housing market crash, an unexpected diagnosis from the doctor. And all of a sudden we realize we aren't in control. And maybe it's just then, for the very first time, that we think about going to Jesus instead of putting ourselves in his hands right from the very start. You know, I can't help but wonder what the disciples actually thought this carpenter was going to do for them in this storm. Maybe just another set of hands to try and bail out the water. What becomes very evident is that they weren't expecting him to do what he did. I mean, arguably from a a human perspective, this is Jesus' most impressive and powerful miracle. He demonstrates the kind of power that only someone who is fully God could possibly have. He stands up right in the middle of that storm, and in order to get it to stop, he just speaks to it. No theatrics, no incantation, no magic spells, simply the sheer force of his will and his word. He says, be quiet, be still, and they listen. The wind instantly dies, and maybe even more impressive, the waves are immediately calm. When you're hanging out in the, in the wave pool at Noah's Ark, and that mechanism, that machine that causes all of the waves, when it finally shuts down for a period of time, how long does it take for those waves to gradually die down? It takes a little bit, right? Because waves have energy, waves have momentum. Well, not only did Jesus remove the cause of the waves, not only did he cause the wind to die down, instantly the waves were still as well. That turbulent sea was suddenly perfectly calm. If you were there, what would your reaction have been? We'd kind of expect joy, right? Relief, gratitude, excitement from these, from these disciples. And yet remember the big idea that we started with today. That if something is out of our control, the greater power it has, the greater our fear of it will be. At first, the disciples came face to face with the power of the sea, power that they knew they couldn't control. Now they had seen a power far greater, the power of Jesus. And clearly, they were misguided in how they thought Jesus was going to use that power, that he would call them to follow him, to be his disciples, that he would ask them to get into their boat and ask them to transport him safely to the other side of the lake. And yet still, 
allow them to go through this life-threatening storm. It was clear to these disciples, not only could they not control the storm, they could not control Jesus either. And so if our big idea is true, then we would naturally expect the fear of these disciples to actually increase. And sure enough, that's what Mark tells us. They were more terrified after the sea was still than while the storm was raging. Mark says they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Doesn't that also kind of describe sometimes how we we live our lives? We come into contact with some sort of storm. We realize that that its power exceeds our own. And so then we go to Jesus for help, but then we quickly realize we're in no control of Jesus' power either. We can't convince him every single time to run our lives the way that we want him to. We can't persuade him sometimes, even with our most persistent prayers. We can't sway him with even our most intense obedience to his laws. It is so easy to want to think of Jesus as kind of this cosmic vending machine that as long as we pay the right price and push the right buttons, he's just going to dispense all of the blessings that we want. But then we find out that it doesn't work that way. And so not only is that a bit frustrating, it even becomes frightening. Not only are we not in control of all of the forces at work in our lives, but we're not in control of Jesus and his infinite power either. but maybe we don't need to be. That was really the lesson that Jesus' disciples needed to learn that day. You see, they had had come into contact with Jesus' limitless power and they were more afraid than they were of the storm. What they really needed to know was how Jesus was going to put that power to use. Perplexed by why he would allow them to go through this storm, did you hear what they asked Jesus? Teacher, don't you care if we drown. We know you have power, but don't you care? Pay close attention to Jesus' answer. After he had calmed the storm, he says to his disciples, do you still have no faith? Another, word, another way of translating that question would be, do you not yet have faith? There are two implications to that question that kind of point us in both directions. First of all, as it pertains to the past, Jesus is really saying, I've already given you ample evidence to know that I care about you, and yet do you not yet? Do you still have no faith? It also points forward. Jesus didn't say, oh, you don't have any faith? I guess you never will. No, he says, do you not yet have faith? implying that the day is coming when they will. The day was coming when he would demonstrate beyond all doubt not only his power, but just how much he cared. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm sick? Don't you care that I'm sad? Don't you care that the bills keep stacking up higher and higher and higher? Jesus answers, Dear brother, dear sister, have you considered my cross? That was the day 
when Jesus took all of this power that he's demonstrated here, the power that only God possesses, and he set it all aside, all for you. That was the day when Jesus dove headfirst into the most ferocious and vicious of storms. That was the day when Jesus paid every last cent of the punishment that we deserve, when he suffered every facet of the consequences of our sin. That was the day when Jesus demonstrated beyond all dispute that as he possesses this infinite power, he uses it, he executes with it, he puts it into practice with one simple question in mind, what is best for them and what will get them home with me? The day Jesus died on the cross is the day that he proved that that question, don't you care, really never should be asked of him again. See, when we go through life storms, our human nature wants to present us with two different options. Either Jesus isn't in control or Jesus doesn't really care. The stilling of the storm rules out the one. Jesus dying on the cross rules out the other. And so we as children of God are, are left with a third option. A third option that isn't always the easiest to see and isn't always the easiest to accept. But if Jesus really has limitless power and if that limitless power really is under the control of his equally limitless love for us, then Lord, somehow, Somehow this storm, even if I can't see it, somehow this storm must be for my good. If something's out of our control, the greater the power it has, the greater our fear of it will be. But if something is under control, like Jesus' power is under the control of his love, then the greater our confidence in it will be. And that's what John Newton was getting at. You recognize the name? You might not know his name, but I'm pretty confident you're familiar with his work. John Newton was the former slave trader turned Christian pastor who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He too was a man who was familiar with the power of the sea. He too was a man who had seen his share of storms, and yet he also knew the limitless power of his Savior and the limitless care and love that controlled it. And so he wrote this about his Savior Jesus. His love in time past forbids me to think he'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. By prayer let me wrestle and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. God grant us that confidence as well. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.